Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Isaiah chapter 39, if you would uh, open your Bibles there, we're uh, continuing the series entitled Our DNA, and our, our, our desire is to identify what is in the fabric of who we are. Um, and oftentimes we, we recognize that as we came here, Jody and I, um, uh, uh, eight years ago now, um, and we prayed through and talked to some of our leadership team of what are the things that we say these are the, the essentials, the core value of what we want Faith Assembly to be about, what, it, what the, the church has been about and what we want to hold on to and continue walking into the future. We said last week uh, that we're spirit-led. Um, as a Pentecostal church, we want the spirit of God to work in us and through us. We believe that the Jesus of the Bible is, the still, is still the same Jesus of today. We believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, the work that God does for, for building up the body of Christ. We believe that it's relevant and it's real for today. Uh, today I want to look as well in uh, this DNA that we want to be about. And oftentimes there are things that we say is in our DNA that it is in our DNA, but we have to be intentional to make it part of our DNA. And that is family. We are convinced that the family is crucial to the health of this church. We are serious about reaching Fayette County. Uh, the Lord has put this on, on our heart as a leadership team. Our heart is for Fayette County. But it would be foolishness for us to think that we will reach the county if we're not establishing and building strong families within the church. The source of reaching Fayette County will be to have strong families. Um, weddings, <laughs> probably shouldn't say this, but I'll say it. Weddings aren't my favorite thing to do. Uh, that doesn't mean I won't do the wedding, okay, that, I'm just telling you the honest truth. When I meet with couples, I tell them the privilege I have of doing your wedding, I don't tell them it's not because I don't, you know, it's not like the most fun thing for me because there's a lot of pressure. There's some stuff that goes with it, blah, blah, blah. But I say to them, my privilege is sitting down with you in these six weeks prior because I want to help coach you into having a healthy home because I'm serious about reaching Fayette County and part of reaching Fayette County is you having a healthy marriage, is you having a healthy home, a healthy foundation. If we're not healthy in the home, we're not gonna reach the county. And so if we're serious about seeing the kingdom of God expand, if we're serious about moving that forward, we have to be concerned with the things that are within the home and, and what, what do we mean by family and uh, we're broadening that, is that at Faith Assembly, we want to be a family church. That's where we have healthy families. What we do promotes healthy families. But what we mean by that is we want to be a church where grandparents are worshiping with their children and with their children's children. And maybe even some great-grandparents, because we have some of those as well. We want a generation that is on the earth at the same time to worship together. We want to be a generational and a family church that we are reaching the next generation, that what we're doing is impacting what God is moving forward, that it's bigger than what we're doing right now. And so I want to look at this, uh, this story in Isaiah chapter 39. And would you stand with me today? And I want to just draw out a significant aspect to what it's going to take for us to have health in our church, in our homes, and um, if we're going to impact the next generation and prepare for that. This is the story of Hezekiah, who is a, a great king. I love Hezekiah until this point. He has a misguided moment in his life. You know, it cost him, or it 
didn't just cost him, it cost the generations after him, and you'll read this, uh, but the grace of God shows up in Daniel. And uh, how many know that even in exile and difficulty, God still moves and shows up? God, you, you and I may not have the best behind us. It doesn't matter what the generation was behind us. That was then, this is now. We have the opportunity now to set a course. And uh, God is, is wanting us to, to have that opportunity, that responsibility. I want you to hear this story. I'm going to read the entire chapter of uh, Isaiah 39. It's only eight verses. Don't worry. Um, here's what it says. Soon after this, I need to tell you what this is, Hezekiah was healed of, of a disease that was going to take his life. And uh, he cried out to God and said, give me favor. And uh, the Lord did and added 15 more years to his life. And as a sign of doing that, the Bible says that the uh, sundial moved 10 steps back, which means the thing that they used to reference the time of day went backwards, which was a miracle of God. And so this great thing has happened. Hezekiah has given proof that he has 15 more years. He's healed and he has his future. Unfortunately, he didn't use what he had left with wisdom. Here's what it says. That when this great thing, when, after this had occurred, uh, Merodach Baladin, son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift. He had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah was delighted. Somebody say delighted. Yours might say he was glad, but he was drawn to. He was delighted with the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure house. The silver, the gold, the spices, and the aromatic oils. Why does he need to show the spices and the oils? Because those aren't just what he has at his disposal. That speaks to who he is in his position. He's showing off. He wants them to know, hey, here I am. He's, he's, he's pointing to, to what he perceives he's done or what he's, what he's gained. He shows them everything in his kingdom. He took them to his armory. Uh, he showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, what did those men want and where did they come from? Hezekiah replied, they came from the distant land of Babylon. Notice Isaiah asked two questions and Hezekiah only gives him one answer. He only responds to one of the answers. He says they came from a distant land, which is his way of saying, oh, you know, those people who came from far away heard all about me and just came to hear what's going on. So those people from distant lands came and he says to them, what did those men want? Where did they come from? From distant lands. Verse 4, what did they see in your palace, asked Isaiah. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own. Did you hear that? I showed them everything I own. And all my royal treasuries. Listen, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord of heaven's armies. The time is coming when everything in your palace all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken into exile. Did you hear that? You're going to lose all that you have right here that has been gained from ancestors till now. Babylon's going to invade and take it. And your very, some of your own sons will be serving in exile in another country. Verse 8, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. 
For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. How many know that's a problem? At least, okay, problems are coming, but at least it won't affect me. How many know that's not the health of what God wants to establish within the future of his church and what he wants to accomplish? So, Father, give us wisdom. I pray, God, that we would hear your word today. And, uh, God, that, that it'd be more than just the words of man. Holy Spirit, speak right to where we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, just encourage somebody. Give them a word of encouragement as you're being seated. Just tell them today, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. You may be seated. I don't know if that was a word of encouragement, but... Uh, I, I always... There are times as we're preaching, I feel led to just inform you that we don't wait till the week of to determine what we're going to preach. Uh, in fact, we prayed about, you know, where to go in this direction, and, and we have our planning team and, and uh, those who are part of that, and, and we pray about where to go, and someone on the planning team says, you know, hey, what about speaking to our core values, those things that we call who we are, and we pray about that, and those ideas come forth, and then we share it with the staff, and then someone on the team says, you know, I remember the story of Hezekiah. We land where we are today because we have a team of people who have conversation and talk about what it is that God is speaking and saying to the church. And here we are today from this story addressing a heart of a king who opened the door to something that just took him off course. Family is something that is so significant and so important in all of our lives. We naturally understand our love for family. It's, it's only a few that would allow the degrading of family and, and abuse and control. And, and there's some of that that exists, but the majority of us cannot understand how people could dishonor or abuse or take advantage of their family. The majority of us, we protect our family. The majority of us carry a mindset that we want our children to have it better than we had it. We want to set the course for something even greater. Family is so crucial, and we've already said that if we're going to be serious about reaching Fayette County, it's going to have to happen within the home, that our homes are going to have to be healthy and strong. We recognize this significance that in order for, for that to be healthy and for things to move forward, that what we need to have in our future and what we do is that it's not enough that we lead the people who are around us, but we've got to start by leading the people who are with us. Paul gave this word to Timothy and said, those who lead in the church must be those who lead their homes well. He gave the qualification that if you're not leading in your home, then it's not, the ability is not for you to lead in the church. There's a connected responsibility. As a church then, we carry that further because you and I together are priests to the work of God in our, in our world. And if we're going to be serious about reaching Fayette County with the love of Jesus, we better be serious about raising and working and honoring God in our homes. That the starting point of where it is, here's the statement that, that for our faith essential, this is what we want in our DNA. Again, this is what we believe exists, but we know we need to work at it. And when I say what it is, you'll understand why. Because here's our statement. We are selfless. Even as I say it, I'm like, oh, God, help us. Oh, God, help me. We are selfless investing in the next generation. 
we want to be a church, we, we are called to be a church that is, is imparting and developing and preparing for the next generation of what God is wanting to do. Have you discovered that the best way to dismantle the family structure or the family unit is to be selfish? Selfishness is the direct way to dismantle something of, of effectiveness, of being developed and put together. This was the setback that Hezekiah has. He makes this statement, at least it won't be like this in my lifetime. Here's what selfishness is. Selfishness at the heart is when we do what we do without any consideration of how it affects others. When we do what we do without consideration of how it affects others, and just like Hezekiah, at least it won't be that way in my lifetime. At least while I'm alive, at least while I'm here, at least while it's going on for me, everything will be good. Not having consideration of, what, of the generation of what's coming behind you. But what about the effect of the people that we are leading? We struggle with this in our nation, and one of the easiest ways to identify that is that we raise debt or we drive up the debt with the expectation that the next generation or another generation will pay for it. That's a selfish act, that I can get what I want as I want, just drive up the, 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 the debt, just put it in a place, let someone else pay the bill. That's a problem. It speaks to this whole idea of it serves me and someone else can take care of it later. That we become in our hearts and in our own ways that there's a selfishness. Now, not all of us are selfish. Some of us are not as selfish as others. But I think there's at least enough that we have to recognize that there's just a crack that if we let go, it gives way and gives us the wrong perspective and the wrong attitude to what is going on in the world around us. We become impulsive with no patience, with no discernment, driven by our own expectations and our wants. We are affected by selfishness. I hate preaching this message because as I unpack it, I see some of it in me. Ugh. And if you've got it all figured out, I thank God that you're here to pray for me and work with me. That there's, there's pieces that says, hey, there's, there's a crack in the door that's being left open that if we don't address it, it's, it's not going to be in the right direction. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to produce good things. Some people are not directly selfish. And I want you to hear this because I know there's some right here and you're like, I am not selfish. Because what we think the opposite of selfishness is, when selfishness is when we want what we want. When we pursue our wants and expectations, that's selfishness. And someone would say, I'm not selfish because I don't go after my wants and expectations. I put other people's wants and expectations above my own. That sounds good, but the remedy to selfishness is not, is not people-pleasing. That opposite is called people-pleasing, which selfish people are selfish through the front door. Do you know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> you just know they're selfish. The moment, that it's just that obvious moment they're selfish. But here are the other people who are like, I don't pursue my wants and needs. I put other people's wants and needs ahead of my own. You're not any better. You're not any worse, but you're not any better. Here's why. Because when you put other people's needs, that's called people-pleasing, and people-pleasing will wear you out. It's the back door to selfishness. You know why? Because you get worn out trying to please everybody, and then you get frustrated because it's not working the way you wanted it to work. And then you come to the place say, I'm done. I give up. And then you turn inward. So you just become as selfish as they were. You just took the roundabout way to get there. You just went the long way. 
Because the remedy to selfishness is not when we put others' needs before us. That sounds good. But the true remedy to selfishness is when we don't do what I want or we don't do what you want, but when we do what is best for the future. When we do what is best for the future, what is affected in this moment for the future? When we come to this understanding of what is best for the future, that becomes a whole different perspective because too often we can stand here and if we talk about the generations or we talk about relationships, if it's a husband and wife or if it's, a, if it's the older generation and the younger generation, you can hear that we need to be selfless and reach back to the next generation. And you can hear that saying, oh yeah, it's all about the younger, not about the older. And that, when that gets in our spirit, we miss it because it's not about, well, we just sit down and take whatever and we let them get whatever they want. No, it's not your way or their way. It's what is best for the future. Let me say to young people, if you've got older people in your life and you're not taking advantage of letting them speak into your life, you're missing the golden nugget that God has put in your life. If you don't glean the wisdom that God has brought around you, there's wisdom. And, and here's what I would say to the older generation, give encouragement. Do you know the best way to open up the door for, someone, for you to speak into someone's life is to encourage them? It's a gift of the Spirit. It's called encouragement. And when the older generation encourages the younger, I'll tell you, this happened to me when I was probably 11 years old in Littlestown, Pennsylvania, on the summers that, that we were home from school, and dad would take me with him to preach to the elderly, the senior saints, every Thursday morning, dad would lead the elderly saints Bible study. And I would go along to the Bible study at the age of 11, and I would sit in that service as dad would preach to these elderly people, and then dad would have me get up and sing. And I remember this one 93-year-old woman. She would look at me every time, and she would say to me, oh, Jason, God's got plans for your life. Jason, God's going to do something. I can't. And she would just speak over me, and then she'd pray for me. You better believe I wanted to go every Thursday to the Bible study. You know why? Because that older generation said in me, hey, you've got something in you. There's something that can happen. There's something that can take place. And you know what that taught me was I needed to take the moments when my, my great aunt, that before she passed away, was in the revival in Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania that changed the whole town in 1939. And I would go to her nursing home. And I didn't know at the time that it was an Assembly of God church. Kind of crazy how God works in this whole thing. I'm sitting at her bed and talking to her. And I'm saying, Aunt Poe, that was her name, Poe. We just gave weird names like that to everybody in our family. It's one of those. I mean, I won't tell you some of the names that, that, we're, uh, that we had in our family. Anybody got family like that? Everybody's got a nickname. And so this was Aunt Poe. And so I would sit at her bed and I would say, tell me what it was like. Describe the tent that the man, that he set up the tent. And, and, and J.T. Pearson, when he put up the tent, when he spoke, tell me what it was like. Tell me what was taking place. What was going, what was in the town? What was happening? Because I would hear how her life got saved and that became the open door that led my family to the Lord in 1979. And why I am where I am today because there was a generation that I'm standing on the shoulders of. I'm not here because I got here on my own. I'm here because somebody put me on their shoulders to help me go somewhere. It's now my job to put other, someone else on my shoulders and say, get there. This is not a, well, we just take it and let everybody else have their way. No, this is what is best for the future. And sometimes what's best for the future means I have to say, you know what? I love in the words of one of our dear saints here. She said, Pastor, the music isn't my style. But what I've learned is that I grew up and I had my time. 
but it's not about me anymore. There's a generation, and she says, I watch young people leading worship, and as they're worshiping, she said, that moves me more than having the song that I want because I see that it's their turn now to lead. And there, I said, God, thank you for the vision of people who know that it's not about a generation that has been, but we're passing to a generation of what's next. This is the heart of what we do. That we've become concerned. You know in your own home, you care about the future of your family. If we're making poor decisions without considering the future of your family, that's selfishness. Selfishness is when we spend without taking care of resources and having something to give and having things to take care of or or pass along. There becomes this, this need to make sure we do what is best for the future. Not for the moment, not for approval, not for self gratification, but what is best for the future. Mom, you getting some time away is best for the future. Why? It's not selfishness for you to have some alone time. That's necessary because you need your rest in order to keep moving. It's not selfishness to take care, to have time away. It's selfish when you don't consider how it affects other people or it's on long term and it becomes just your rights and your privilege. That leads to selfishness. But there's nothing wrong for having your time away, having your downtime. In fact, I would say to every mom who has young kids, you better take some time away. You better find some healthy moms who have similar age kids and get away with them either for lunch or a dinner and maybe once a month have a healthy conversation about doing life together. You need to have that. Husbands and wives, you need to go out on a date at least once a month. And you might say, but what about the kids? I would say, hey, make sure you make each other a priority because those kids are going to leave you one day if you did it right. And then you wonder how you have a marriage together because everything you've lived about has been for the kids and you don't even know how to operate and work together because you've not taken time for yourself. That's not selfish. It's what's best for the future. What is best for the future? In this decision, what is best for the future? And when we consider from that perspective, that changes our approach When we choose what is best, how about Mary? In in Luke chapter 10, Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus while Martha is working. And Martha says, won't you tell Mary to come in and help me and work? Won't you tell her to be a people pleaser like me and have the back door of selfishness because I'll get frustrated because I'm serving everybody, it's not working? Would you tell her to help me? And Jesus says what? Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. What she has chosen will not be taken away from her. What is that? It will be around in the future. It will last. This, what you're doing for now, is for a moment. It's a little while. But Mary has chosen the things that last forever. The future, when we put the future in its perspective, when we we consider what is going to take place in the future, Satan doesn't mind you doing significant things. He just doesn't want you to raise a significant home. The greatest significance that you can have, and I know this, you know why? Because my great-great-grandkids probably won't even know my name if the Lord doesn't come back. My kids aren't going to sit around. My great-great-grandkids aren't going to sit around talking about me. Don't want to burst your bubble. But you're not going to be remembered much longer. Sorry. I mean, Ancestry.com will help it come back, and there's some opportunities. Your story's told a little more than it's ever been told. But here's the honest truth. You're going to be forgotten. But you know what won't be forgotten? is the investment that you make into the next generation. What won't be forgotten is the way that you live your life to empower, to invest, to set forth, and to not be selfish 
and make it about what we want, but to reach back and to help others come along in the purpose of what God is doing. The prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he says to him, what did you show them? And he says, I showed them everything. And Isaiah says, well, down the road, there's a consequence, this pride that you've opened the door to. And you're a good king. You're a good king. You've done good things. But this selfishness has gotten in you. Isn't it kind of yucky? When you really have to look and say, where does selfishness come in? You're a good king, but this selfishness came through the door. And you opened the door to this selfishness, this pride. And now as a result, there is a generation that is going to pay for what you've done. And what's the king say? Well, at least it won't be during my lifetime. At least I can just do my thing and live my life and get what I want and have, at least I'll be fine. I don't know if there's anybody else in the room, but does that make you sick in your stomach? At least I'll get what I want. And I hate that there have been moments that I don't want to admit it, but there have been attitudes and things that overlooking what is best in the situation to just out of my impulse and my own selfish desire says, well, I know it might be better to wait, but I don't feel like it. I want it now. Anybody ever been there? Leave me all alone. It was just me, my fault. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Your pastor's not perfect. There's moments, oh God, Help us, to, help us to respond in the way that would honor and please and what is best for the future. Daniel, in fact, fulfilled the prophecy when it says that your ancestors will be taken to Babylon. That was Daniel. But here's the good news. Hezekiah, in his selfishness, did not consider the future. But how many are grateful for the grace of God that he still shows up in Daniel when they're in exile? How many know that it doesn't matter what the generation, let me just say this today, if you're holding on today and making someone else your excuse for not pursuing Jesus with all your heart, it won't stand in the courts of heaven. It will not stand in the courts of heaven. Daniel could not stand before God and say, well, you know that prophecy about Hezekiah, my great-great-grandfather, when he did that, when he didn't do the things right, you know what happened, and now I am where I am today because of that. You can't point back to the next generation, the next person, the next thing. You can't pass, go back and blame what has been because you will stand before God in your own responsibilities and your own decisions. It's before ourselves, what, we, what we've done. I want to give us some things that we can look for to keep selfishness from creeping in. Like I said to you, we planned this sermon weeks ago. Sometimes I preach sermons and there's people in the room like, I wonder what's going on that he's preaching about that today. no. I mean, ask Tim. It was his idea a couple months ago as we were praying and said, hey, what about this? And it was Lenana who said, well, how about Hezekiah's story? I'm like, yeah, here we go. And they just gave me the ammunition, so here I go. So if you don't like the sermon, blame it on them. Okay. <laughs> here's, uh, here's some things to look for. How do you know? You've got to be aware of. Selfishness begins to crack the door when these things are taking place. Here's number one. Be aware when we settle for being puffed up rather than built up. Be aware when we're being puffed up and not built up. When we get puffed up, here's Hezekiah. Hezekiah receives some visitors, and they're from a far distant land. Well, these people, the word's getting around about me. You know how far the, the attention's going? These people from far away are coming to hear about me. They come to pay respect and to congratulate him on this healing, this miracle. And really what they want to do is find out what do you have that we can take advantage of. But Hezekiah figures, 
It's Babylon. They're of no threat at that time. They're an ant. Babylon's no threat. And so Hezekiah opens the door. He invites them in. And in fact, what they wanted to know and find out was the miracle or this thing that was going on in their land. It's referenced in 2 Kings chapter 20. And I already referenced it was that when Hezekiah became ill, he cried out to God to heal him. God answered his prayer, gave him 15 more years. And God says, as a sign that I'm going to heal you, I will turn the, the sun, the, the shadow on the sundial. 2 Kings chapter 20, go back and read it. And then God, through Isaiah, says, you pick. Do you want it to go forward or backwards? And Hezekiah says, well, the sun already moves forward, so to really make it hard, move it backwards. And so the Bible says that the sun moved 10 steps down that sundial, and it moved in 10 steps. Now, Babylon would have felt that because Babylon had their own sundial and their own people saying, hey, we're taking track of time. We know what's going on. And somebody would have said, Whoa, something just happened. The sun just moved backwards. The shadow went back 10 steps. They're in their own way. It's like, what's going on in our world? Is it the apocalypse? Is it what, what's going on? They don't serve God. They don't know. And word comes down the line. Oh, it's those people from Judah who are serving Jehovah, who is their God. And they believe that he's in control of the sun and of all creation. And in fact, we heard there's a connection to the healing. And you know what they said? We got to go find out. This was Hezekiah's moment when they came to the door. This was Hezekiah's moment to say, guys, I just want you to know our God is real. The God you're serving is not the real God. Our God is in control of healing, in control of the sun. He's the God of all creation. This was his moment to display the glory of God. When they came and said, what's going on in your life? And he had the moment to say, let me tell you how good my God is. But no, he said, oh, let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you what my career is. Let me tell you what my back. Let me tell you what the money I'm making. Let me tell you what I'm able to do now. Let me tell you what I've got. Let me tell you. Oh, just let me tell you. Come on in. Instead of proclaiming what, Christ, what God had done, he says, let, let me tell you about it. I want you to know this today. Attention can be a dangerous thing. Be careful where your attention comes from. Because you and I are addicted to attention. If you don't believe it, when was the last time you posted something and just were curious how many people liked what you posted? Because we're driven by this attention. We want to see there's nothing wrong. Don't get out of balance. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying we don't mind having attention. I don't mind it when my wife notices and says something kind about me and says, hey, you really did a great job. I, I cleaned the garage one day. She came home and she said, hey, thanks for cleaning the garage. She didn't quite go into how great and obvious and wonderful it looked. I kind of added that in my own. But she said, hey, thanks for taking care of Everybody knows you don't mind being acknowledged. You don't mind. Be careful where your attention comes from. Be careful who starts speaking into the ear and telling you the stuff of what you're doing. You know how good you are. And Hezekiah missed this moment to honor. Here, I heard this said before. Someone said this, a person's true heart is not known by how he handles failure, but rather by how he handles success. The true heart of a person is how he handles success, not failure. Failure will already crush you. You're already empty. You can't be crushed when you fail. You're already at the bottom. You can't go any lower. When you fail, you don't feel like you can go any lower. But when you've got success, when you've got weight, when you've got opportunity, when you've got things and resources, when you've got stuff... Be careful. Can I remind you? I was talking to someone this week who grew up in this church. He told me, I remember when the church was in the back 
And he said there were only about 20-some 20, 20 people gathered at a prayer meeting. And he started naming some of those who were gathered in this prayer meeting. He's now 48 years old. At the time, he would have been about 11 years old or, or 12 years old. He said he remembers the time as they were praying. I said to him just this week, tell me. What did it look like? What did it smell like? What was, what, I want to know what it looked like. You know why? Because we would not be where we are today if it weren't for those 20-some people praying to God and asking God to do something. They didn't even get to see what God said in motion, but they were faithful and prayed and believed and said, God, we want to set something in motion because we'll forget who they were, but the work that God is doing will not be forgotten and will continue to go. That's what we want to be a part of. This is, the, this is what we're setting in motion. How do we handle the success? The success can be, you know, we got pretty good leadership here. I mean, we just paid off the building, and oh, my goodness, we got, wow, we really got it going on. No, what we say is, God, what faithfulness when there were people who built a building and they didn't have any money? They didn't have any money. When they took out the mortgage in 2003, the church had to do everything they could to even cover the mortgage, and they built that. I was the youth pastor. I know. We built it in faith and said, we're going to make it work. God's going to provide. Guess what? We might be 15 years removed, but let's not forget, it's only by the provision and the grace of God that we'll ever do anything. We might have more money in the bank. We might have grown a little more, but we still need the dependence and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are nowhere except there were faithful people to help us get to where we are today. This is what we're setting, and now we move in this direction. How do you handle the success? Forgetting what others have done to lay the path for you. Forgetting what has been taking place. Listen what 2 Chronicles, speaking to the same, the same text that we read. When the ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask Hezekiah about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. He pulled back to test and see what is really in your heart. Is this success that you, this success, success, sorry. Some of you heard something else in there. Hey, watch it. The success that you have right now. At least I got people's attention. I mean, that's how you, hey, sex. Oh, what? Hey, oh, oh. (laughs) The success of our, of our lives. Oh, stop it. The success that we have, how do we handle that? How do we handle how all that is given to us? Because God's testing your heart. He wants to know who you really are. You know why he wants to know who you really are? Is whether or not you can handle more or if he needs to take it away from you. That's what he's wanting to find out. Can I trust you with more? Or do I need to even take what you have? Because if you don't steward well what he has, the Bible says he'll take it those talents, and give to another. God's testing you to say, can you handle this? Can you stand under this? Can you honor me when everything's going your way? Because I know when it doesn't go your way, sometimes you're quicker to call out to God. I know I do. Can you handle the success? Puffed up people, let let me hurry up here. Puffed up people are made to feel good, but built up people are made to be prepared to pass the test. Puffed up people are made to feel good. Oh, tell me again. Just do it again. Do it again. Do it again. It feels good. feels good. I don't have anything wrong with feeling good. I mean, I don't mind having a good comment, having the good thing saying. But if it's not words, let me tell you, the people that matter the most to me are the people who know me the best. 
when they give me words, that builds me up. You're from a distance, you can puff me up. You Babylonians, I'm sorry, not you, but I mean, you could be far away. You, could, you get puffed up from people far away, but you get built up from people who have to look into your soul eye to eye and know who you really are. That's why we sometimes don't like people getting close to us because I'd rather be puffed up from afar than built up, up close. But when you have to confront and be in build up, here's another thing. Puffed up people take recognition, but built up people take responsibility. Puffed up people take recognition. Built up people take responsibility. Do you know you're responsible for your actions, for your words, for the way you carry because there's a generation watching and following what we're setting in motion. We have to take responsibility. Here's the difference. You'll know whether you're being built up or puffed up by what you delight in. Notice what it says of Hezekiah in, chapter, in verse 2. He delighted in the envoys from Babylon. Those boys came to me and told me how good, how wonderful, how amazing things are. And I liked it. What do you delight in? Do you know on that day, Hezekiah had two visitors. The first visitor were from Babylon. And he got the little tickle in the ear from the people who don't really know him because he's far away. And the moment they come in, what does he open up to them and show them? Everything. The king of Babylon comes and he shows them everything. The man of God comes and he only tells him some things. The man of God comes. Here's the danger. When we delight in the applause of people and forsake the word of God, you will be puffed up instead of built up and not able to stand and have something stable to pass on to the next generation. That Hezekiah became guarded, didn't answer all the questions, I don't want to tell you what they talked about. I'll tell you where they're from. They're from far away because I'm not that important. They showed up from far away. But I'm not going to answer all your questions. The danger is we can be guarded with the people who ought to know us best and let ourselves be vulnerable to the people that are distant and distant. That we be careful of how these doors open up. Let me, let me, let me go to the next one. Number one, of course, be careful when, we, when we're easily puffed up and not built up. Number two is be careful when provisions become our possessions. Be careful when provisions become our possessions. Isaiah asked Hezekiah, what did you show them? And Hezekiah says this, I showed them everything I own. Oh, big shot. You own it? You mean all the stuff that the ancestors have built up? That you just happened to be next in line. Which, by the way, did you forget? You didn't get here to be king on your own. You're not the kingdom of God in its own. You're standing between the King David and the coming Messiah. Did you forget who you were? It's not all about you. Did you forget that it's not about you in this moment? Did you forget that you came from the line of David and that there's a Messiah yet to come? Why did you get mixed up and somehow think this is all about you and forget what's about to come? Why? Because you become possessive. When it was God's provision, now becomes my possessions. And you forget where it came from. Selfishness will always thrive in a sense of mine. Write that down if you're taking notes. Selfishness will always thrive in a sense of mine. My rights, my life, my decision, my money, my job, my kids, my stuff, it's mine. 
you better remember that you don't have what you have except that God provided and gave it to you. Because when it becomes mine, they become tools then that just build us up and we lose sight of what it has been provided for. That it's not yours. One of the things we try to be careful of, this is not my church. In fact, I can't even say my church. It's our church. This is not my church. This is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ that we as the body of Christ are building together because no one man can do anything. Only those who work in unity in the power of God and the work of the Spirit can accomplish anything. It's not mine. It's not my job. In fact, I say to our team, if this is your job, go get another one. This is my privilege. This is our privilege. I don't deserve this. I don't have rights here. God has given responsibility. I've got responsibility. And because it's my responsibility, it stands in the place that I have to make the decisions that what is best for the future. Do you know sometimes being in leadership, it's hard to make decisions that's best for the future? Because being a parent, sometimes the kids don't like the decisions. Hey, you got to be home at this time. Hey, you got to, there's, hey, you're going to church. I thank the Lord. I've never had to drag any of my kids to church. It's probably because they knew if you live in my house, it's not an option. And I know that strikes some people to be like, whoa. Um, no, I was put in their life to raise them. And part of raising them is to instill in them decisions and responsibilities. That I've got one and a half almost out of the house. One is gone. I got one more next year. I'm not rushing it. I'm not ready for it. I, but I know my time is up. And what I've done is done. And I had to make the most of investing in this time to see it raised. We have to take responsibility for how we're investing, what we're doing. And let's be real. It's easy sometimes to just go to the people-pleasing side. I just want to keep everybody happy. Just want to make it all good. Just want to. That is selfishness through the back door. Right? That's selfishness through the back door that it still becomes about us and not about what is best for the future. Let me give you the last one. Here's the last one. Be aware when possible doesn't seem probable. Here's what I mean by that. When, when what is possible doesn't seem probable. And that means saying things like, that won't ever happen in my lifetime. That'll never, that'll never happen to me. The moment you think it'll never happen is the moment you put your guard down. And then you open the door just a crack and walk into the unhealth that is now out of control in our personal lives and in the way that we're handling things. Um, the probability of Babylon attacking Judah was so small because Babylon was not even considered a threat. And Judah, Hezekiah would have been like, been like hey, let them in. They're not our threat. Assyria's our threat. They're no big deal. Let them in. The enemy doesn't need a big door to get through. He just needs you to open the door a little bit. Because the smallest things as it comes in, and when we're not aware of those things that are coming in, the selfishness, because I know I have the tendencies. I'm not going to assume 
but I think you might too. I think you might have the tendencies as well at times to really look and say, you know what, I'm arguing a point that is not about the future, it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I expect. And then we get bothered because, well, what are we supposed to do? Just lay down and take it and let them get their way? No. It's what is best for the future? What is best for moving forward? Because you and I are going to be forgotten. But we're passing on to those that are going to continue. The law of probability determines the chances of something to happen. And my encouragement to us is don't get sloppy and risk the things that really aren't worth risking. What I mean by that, back again with my children, I'm not just going to hope that my kids turn out right. I'm going to pray for them. Some of us, your kids are already grown. You have grandkids, whatever that might be. But this started for me when I was a youth pastor because I had kids. Jaron was already born. He was just six months old. But I was already the father of some teenagers. There were teenagers that I said, my goal is not for you to just graduate and not be on drugs. That's not my goal. My goal is that when you graduate, you know Jesus, and you know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. My prayer is that no matter where you go in life, that you'll know that I can't be there, that someone who loves you might not be able to be there, but you'll know that there's one who has spoken over you, who spoke to you, who will meet you in every time of need, in your place of loneliness, your place of despair. My job is not to make you enjoy youth group. My job is to make sure you know Jesus Christ. I'm gonna buy you a burger. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna talk. We're gonna laugh. We're gonna hang out. But the end of the game and the biggest deal is that when you leave me, I want you to know the Jesus that changed my life. It's that important and it matters that much. And if you think, Jason, you're just over the top. Not everybody thinks that way. Then start. Start. Not everybody thinks about the next generation the way you do. Well, if you're a mother and a father, you should. Don't tell me, oh, well, I just don't have what you, I, you know, you just, you're just passionate about that. That's your thing. No, it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. I care about the kingdom of God. You know why? Because my bank account won't matter. My home won't matter. The things that I have won't matter. But the people I've touched along the way, that's what matters. My house is going to be gone. My money's going to be spent. There's nothing. No one's going to remember me. But somewhere along the line, I made a point and a deposit with somebody that went to somewhere else, that went somewhere else. People matter. People matter. The most important relationships in my life live under my roof. And I'm committed to lead my home in the wisdom of God. Am I perfect? No. Do I have to say to my wife, forgive me? Yes. Do I have to say to my kids, hey, I'm sorry that when I got mad about that, I overreacted. You know what? I would rather lead my kids in learning how to, admit, how to work through mistakes than to pretend at a distance I've got it all together and do nothing impactful in their life. I think one of the greatest things is authenticity. I'm just going to be real. I don't have this all figured out. I don't know how to do this thing. I don't have it all down. But I know the one who gives me grace, and I know the one who never gives up. And I know the one who has plans and a hope and a future. It's a future. So what I want to do today is for the sake of the next generation, 
We're going to go into a time of worship. Would you stand with me in these closing 10 minutes? And I want to sing this song. This is worship. And I know right now I'll be like, well, this is my time to leave. Please don't. This is our time now to say, God, help this to apply. Help this to get to the heart. And here's what I'm going to say when it comes to selfishness. Selfishness is the door to which the Antichrist comes in. Maladek Baladin, the king of Babylon, follow me. His name means rebel, not of God, which is the spirit of the Antichrist. Look what it says in 1 John. 1 John says this, well, I think it's, I'll read it. No, I won't because I only have it up there. So can you bring it up? No? Okay, I'm sorry. I only put it up. Hey, thank you. Dear children, this is the last hour. How many know we're getting close to the end? This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, there is one Antichrist who will be coming and he will set up his, his rule. It won't last long, but he'll set it up. There is one anti Antichrist. But listen, even now many Antichrists have come. What's that mean? It means this, that the spirit of the Antichrist has already been released on the earth. And listen what he says. This is how we know it is the last hour. What's he saying? In the last days, deception is going to rise. Deception is going to rise. Deception is going to be where we open the door to Maladek Baladin, to the rebel king who is not of God, and we start just a crack. Because he's not a big king. He doesn't need a lot of room to get in. And deception is when we start opening the door. And now, here's the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the opposite of Jesus. And how many know selfishness is the beginning part? Why? Because selfishness is where I depose Jesus as king and I make myself king. That is the beginning of the Antichrist. And I know you're like, oh, that's a big jump. No, you don't ever just get right there overnight. There's always a small door that opens up and gets you there. All right? So... I would say today, some of us, all of us, how about we say all of us? Not, not, not somebody. This isn't like somebody in the room today. No, how about all of us? Why don't we hit the restart button and say, God, I want to decrease so that you can increase. I want to be less of me and more about you. I want, give me a, a do-over. I didn't say we're not saved, didn't say we're not going to heaven, but I'm saying maybe we've not been surrendered maybe we've not been having the right perspective maybe we just say God start in me all over again so I'm coming to the altar do in me this work so we're going to close with this song and in these final minutes I promise we'll get out on time don't worry but maybe you want to come to the altar today for the sake of the next generation say God let it begin in me you might not even be a parent but you say, I'm still going to take the responsibility. You know why? Because you're a teenager, and if you're in high school, you ought to reach back and invest in a middle schooler. You ought to start it now, building into other people's lives.